This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we take you back to 1945 and a visit with a comedy duo that had millions of fans, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. First, a look back at some of the salient points of that year's major stories. World War II began to near its end in April as the Allies close in on Berlin. The Soviet Army reached Berlin in the middle of April after making its way through Eastern Europe, liberating German concentration camps as they progressed toward Germany. By the end of the month, it was clear that Nazi Germany would fall and the Allies would only accept an unconditional surrender. Hitler and several other high-ranking members of the Nazi leadership committed suicide moments before the Soviet Union reached their bunkers. And Germany surrendered in the beginning of May. Fighting continued, though, in the Pacific, and the war with Japan didn't end until September after the United States dropped the first atomic bombs on Japan. And how about entertainment? Well, in 1945, Your Lucky Hit Parade was broadcast for the first time. Popular films include Anchors Away, The Pale Face, The Lost Weekend, and National Velvet, starring a young Elizabeth Taylor. Percy Spencer accidentally discovers that microwaves can heat food. Only 5,000 homes have television sets, and computer geeks get this, assembly of the world's first general-purpose electronic computer, the Electronic Numerical Integrator Analyzer and Computer, known as ENIAC, was completed. It covered 1,800 feet of floor space, and the first set of calculations is run on the computer. And on radio, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, an American comedy team composed of Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, uh, whose work on radio and in film and television made them the most popular comedy team of the 40s and early 50s. Their patter routine of Who's On First is one of the best-known comedy routines of all time and set the framework for many of their best-known comedy bits. The two comedians first worked together in 1935 at the Eltinge Burlesque Theater on 42nd Street, now the lobby of the AMC Empire Movie Complex in New York City. And this performance came about when Costello's regular partner became ill. And when AMC moved the old theater 168 feet further west on 42nd Street to its current location, giant balloons of Abbott and Costello were rigged to appear to pull it. Other performers in the show, including Abbott's wife, Betty, encouraged a permanent pairing. The duo built an act by refining and reworking numerous burlesque sketches with Abbott in the, as the straight man and Costello as the dim-witted comic. Well, let's see what shenanigans they get up to tonight in the episode entitled, Lou Wants to Be a Fireman. Yeah. 
The Abbott and Costello program, starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Brought to you by Camel, the cigarette of costlier, properly aged tobacco. The Abbott and Costello program, with the modern rhythm of Will Osborne and his orchestra, Iris Adrian, our singing star, Connie Haynes. And spotlighting that chunky, chubby little cherub, who, when caught putting a red tail light on his Uncle Artie Stebbins' pajamas because he heard he walked in his sleep, calmly said, I'm a bad boy! and bold. I'm always on the alert. I put out the fires with my water pistol because I'm a little squirt. Uh, <laughs> Costello, do you realize that we are working in a firehouse? What's the idea of walking in here late for work? Oh, well, Abbott, I couldn't help it. You remember the fire went to last night and you told me to take pictures of a burning building with my candy camera? Yes, yes. What about it? Well, when the fire truck went around the corner, I fell over backwards and I swallowed the candy camera. Well, why should that make you late? I had to sit up all night in a dark room and see what developed. I... <laughs> Look, Costello, there, there's, there's going to be no nonsense around this firehouse. And for your information, I have just been appointed captain. Oh, you're the new captain? Uh-huh. Yeah, but I heard about it. You I did? brought you a present. There's a beautiful fire extinguisher and it's guaranteed to last 200 years. A fire extinguisher mm-hmm. that lasts 200 years? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't expect to live that long. Where you're going, you can take it with you. I... <laughs> This week is Save-A-Life Week. Oh, sure. I know it's Save-A-Life Week. I did my share yesterday. Uh, who did you save? I had a date with two girls, and I saved one for tonight. <laughs> I thought so. You're in no condition to save anybody. Just look at your stomach. Well, what's the matter with my stomach? Oh, you ought to diet. Why should I diet? I like the color it is now. <laughs> I'm not talking about the color. Abbott, I am very proud of my stomach. Oh, you should be. Now, every day I lay out in the backyard, and I let the sun shine on my stomach. What's the big idea? It always makes me feel good to see a nice pot roast. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Just look at the size of you. What are you talking about? I only weigh 98 pounds. 98 pounds? Mm -hmm. Why, you dummy, you're 60 inches around the waist. Yeah, but I'm hollow. (laughs) Costello, I've had enough of this. If you're going to be a fireman, you're going to get busy and exercise right now. Oh, Abbott. Ma'am, come Please, on. Abbott. No more exercise. Yes. I'm weak now. I don't care. Look at me, Abbott. I know. I'm so weak, I can't even stand up straight. Why are you leaning to one side? I parted my hair off center and it throws me off balance. <laughs> Talk sense, will you please? Did you do as I told you? Did you get out and play handball this morning? Oh, play it? No. My hands were all blistered. Did you take your uh, 10-mile hike? No. No. My feet were all blistered. Uh, did you go uh, horseback riding? No. I couldn't find a saddle. <laughs> Look, will you quit your stalling, please? Now, you're going... You're going to do your exercises, nevertheless. Now, get in there and take your clothes off and get dressed for gym. Get dressed for gym? Gym who? Gym, gymnasium. Why should I get dressed for him? I don't even know the guy. No, no, you dummy. I want you to go in and uh, in the back room and work out. You want me to go in the back room and work out? Certainly. How am I going to work out if I'm in? What are you talking about? You can either stay out and work out, or you can stay in and work out. Make up your 
mine, am I? In or out? It doesn't make any difference. Some people don't like to work outside because they get all in. So they go out and work out outside. Yeah. So they won't get all in from working out inside. Now, the guy has got me inside out. Always forget it. Forget about this exercise. I guess the only way I can build you up is with vitamins. Vitamins? Yes. For instance, uh, B1. B1 what? Just, just B1. Just B1? Yes. Are you one? No. Said <laughs> no. Then why should I be one? If it ain't good enough for you, it ain't good enough for me, Captain. Look, never mind that, Captain. Look, you idiot. I'm trying to tell you about something that's good for you. Be one. And I tell you, I don't want to be one. I wouldn't be one if I was the only one that could be one. Look, I don't want you to be one. No? No. When I say be one, I don't mean be one. I mean be one. Oh, when you say be one, you don't mean be one. You mean be one. That's right. Let me smell your breath. Ah, Look, Costello, do you know anything about vitamins and calories? Oh, vitamins and calories. Sure, I know the both of those guys. Four vitamin and cab calories. No. I thought... Look, I'm talking about vitamins that contain thiamine. That contain what? Uh, you know thiamine. Thiamine? Yes. Oh, I know Simon well. You do? Yes, simple Simon. <laughs> Look, will you shut up? I'm trying to tell you what vitamins are. Vitamins are pills. Uh, they start with uh, A and they go to H. That's all right with me, brother. I, uh... <laughs> and you can still take your fire extinguisher with you. Now, never mind that. <laughs> will you keep still and pay attention? Didn't you ever hear... A... <laughs> Didn't you ever hear of the vitamin D, the sunshine vitamin? Yeah, and I take too many of those. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't have too much of the sunshine vitamin. All I know is I've got the only stomach that rises in the east and sinks in the west. <laughs> I don't know why I waste my time with you. Here I am trying to build you up. Trying to make a great fireman out of you that someday, someday people will build a statue of you and place it in the city park. They're not going to make any statue of me, Abbott. Why not? I think it would be terrible to be a statue... And have the birds mistake me for a tree? Because if they built a nest in Lincoln's vest, just think what they'd do to me. They'd lay eggs upon my chest, and that would be awful, brother. When people walk by, they'd point at me and say, There's a woodpecker's mother! Thank you, Bob and Luke. Camel Orchestra bringing the tune from Will's new picture, The Swing Parade of 1946. Oh, brother.
Carl's Firehouse. And do you have water in your pump? Yes, I do. How do you keep your socks dry? <laughs> That's a very funny joke. I think I'll pull it on Abbott. Hey, Abbott, do you have water in your pumps? Uh, no, but I've got oil in my crankcase. Now, what am I going to do with these wet socks? <laughs> there you go with that silly, silly talk. I'm through with you. Get your hat and coat and go home. Go ahead. Wait a minute, Abbott. Never mind. You can't fire me. I need this job. Every week I send my, my pay envelope home to my dear old mother. I... Oh, well, now, that's different. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that you sent your pay envelope home to your mother every, every week. week. Well, that's fine. At the end of the year, she has 52 envelopes, and I got all the money. That, <laughs> that does it. That does it. Get out. Oh, you and Abbott. I are all washed up. Go ahead. Abbott, no. Get out. Please, please, please watch out where you're walking. Don't step on me. Oh, please, please don't step on me. Do you hear? Don't step on me or you will squash me. Who are you? Oh, just a little firebug. Costello, <laughs> there's a young lady in the car outside. Let's see what she wants. Hello, boy. Oh, it's the famous actress, Bessie Mae Mucho. <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely sunsuit you're wearing, Miss Mucho. Oh, do you like it? Oh, yeah. I made it out of a bondonna. Uh, a bondonna? Oh, Abbott, you know what a bondonna is. That's what a farmer wears hanging out of his paunch poquette. <laughs> All the movie girls are wearing these handkerchief shorts. They're wonderful for sports and playing games. Oh, I like to play games. Last night I played a game called Puss in the Crooner. You mean Puss in the Corner? No, Puss in the Crooner. I got up and sang like a crooner and somebody hit me in the puss. <laughs> Look, I just stopped by to ask you if this was the right road to Hollywood. Yes, this is the right road for Hollywood. <laughs> I have to hurry. I'm playing on the baseball team. I'm the culture. Culture? Yes, I think the most important one of the team is the culture. Don't you? No, I'd say it was either the teacher or the shirt stoop. <laughs> Wave. Au revoir. Trays beans. <laughs> That's French, you know. Hey, look out, Costello. Here comes your girlfriend leaning against her. Ah, there you are, you two-ton butch jackins. I'm glad you got it out. <laughs> I saw you fighting with that woman in that car. No, I wasn't, Lena. You're the only girl that ever turned my head. Yeah, I should have turned it further. I can still see your face. <laughs> Please, don't talk that way, Lena. Come, Lena. Come fly away with me to my little love nest. We will fly away together. Fly? With that fuselage, you couldn't even get off the runway. <laughs> I'm through with you anyway. Every blonde you see, you think is pretty. I don't think every blonde I see is pretty. No, I don't, Lena. I don't think every blonde is pretty. Now, name one. Nelson Eddy. <laughs> Please, Lena, I'm crazy about you. Can't you see the two of us married? Yeah, I can see the man tying the knot. The preacher? Now, the warden. I'd hang before I'd marry you. Goodbye. Hey, Costello, there's a three-alarm fire. Jump on the truck. Okay, Abbott. Get everybody off the street. Hey, Abbott. Tell that man to get out of the way. Get out of the way, huh? Oh, I can't walk on the public streets, huh? Oh, it's Melonhead. Get a load of this guy, Costello. Me, one of the most respected citizens in Glendale. Look. What's the matter with Glendale? I didn't even mention Glendale. There's nothing 
wrong with Glendale? Go on back to Glendale. Oh, I should go back to Glendale. Get thrown in jail for vagrancy again, huh? <laughs> All right, then stay out of Glendale. Oh, I should stay away from Glendale. Want my wife to forget me, run away and marry that shoemaker from Azusa. Look, Melonhead, I don't want your wife to marry a shoemaker. <laughs> she should run around in her bare feet, huh? I don't want your wife to run around on her bare feet. Fine thing. You don't want people to notice that she's got nine toes on one foot. <laughs> nine toes? Your wife has nine toes on one foot? Go on, start a rumor. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Make me the laughing stock of Glendale. Now, look, Melhead, you're not going to give me any, any more arguments this week now. Now, just forget Glendale. Forget me, forget everything. Oh, I should lose my memory, huh? <laughs> Walk around in the days like a dope. People should call me an imbecile. Look, I wouldn't let people call you an imbecile. Oh, you got a patent on it, huh? <laughs> I'm an imbecile. I'm an imbecile. I'm an imbecile. Go on, brag. Melonhead, <laughs> I gotta go ahead to a fire. Will you get out of the way? Go on, push me around. Beat me. Fill me. Pull out your gun and pull me full of holes. Go no, on. I don't even carry a gun. Oh, sure, a gun is too noisy. Go on, pull a knife on me. Stab me. Cut me to ribbons. I'm ready to die. I don't want you to die, Melonhead. I hope you live to be 150 years old. Oh, you want me to be an old man 150 years old with a beard, huh? I should tip over my beard, fall in the street, get run over by a truck, and then you'll take me to a hospital. Look, I don't want to take you to a hospital. Oh, you want me to lay there in the gutter and bleed to death, huh? <laughs> Melonhead, I want you to be healthy so you can go to work. Same thing. An old man, 150 years old, wants me to go to work. All right, don't go to work. Oh, I shouldn't work. I should starve to death, huh? <laughs> Will you wait a minute, please? Nobody wants you to starve to death. Eat steak. Big, juicy steak. How do you like that? I'm 150 years old, not a tooth in my head. He wants me to eat steak. <laughs> Melonhead, if it'll make you happy, I'll carry you around in my arm. Now he's trying to make an invalid out of me. You got me so mad now, Melonhead! I'm gonna fight you! Yeah, I'll fight you! Yeah! Uh, yeah, and I'll uh, fight you! Yeah! And I'll fight you! Oh, yeah! Well, we did that, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> now look, Melonhead, there's only one reason why I don't poke you right in the nose. And that's because I'm bigger than you! Yeah, well, it so happens that I'm bigger than you! Well, that's a better reason! <laughs> performance on the air, Camel's lovely Connie Haynes introduces Rip Van Winkle. 7,300 days is a long, long time to sleep. But Rip Van Winkle slept for 20 long years, then he woke one day. Rip, red hair had turned to gray. Hurried back into town and to his dismay, Rip, hometown had stopped to play. He found to his surprise a thing called Swing was King, and he liked it. It opened up his eyes and Rip, Rip, got hip, Rip. Faded away and he shed his beard. Rip the rage and he reappeared. So if you wanna swing and jive at the age of 95, start counting sheep. You sleep like Rip and Winkle. 
He liked it. It opened up his eyes and drip, drip, got him, rip, fan, winkle, winkle, faded away, and he shed it then. Rip, the rage and he reappeared. So if you want to swing and jive at the age of Next corner. 
And watch out for those people in the crosswalk. Okay, I'll stick on my hand. Oh! <laughs> I think I'll have to get my fingernails cut. Hey, Costello, look at the flames. We haven't got a minute to lose. <laughs> Come on, get that ladder over there. Huh? Get that ladder over there. Okay, I'll open the ladder and read it. See what uh, it says. Not ladder, ladder, ladder. A ladder. What did you climb up on when you were a little boy? My mother's knee. Oh, no, no. A climb up uh, yeah, on yeah, All right, never mind. I don't want that. Listen, I want that big, that big long wooden ladder. Help me lift it up here. Now, go ahead. Get a hold of the rung. The what? The ladder rung. I didn't hear it ring. I... He talks in. Go ahead, Costello. Climb up that ladder. Not me, brother. Look at those flames. Now, if that was Betty Grable in there, you wouldn't let her burn up. If Betty Grable wasn't there, I'd burn up. Oh, never mind. I'll go up first. You follow me. Okay. All right. Oh. oh. The smoke up here is killing me. I, I can hardly breathe. My, my nose is shut up. Your nose is what? Shut up. Why should I shut up? I only asked you a simple question. Oh, I can hardly breathe. If I swallow any more smoke... How will I smell? I know the answer to that one, too. Now, <laughs> here, I'll help you up the ladder. I- I'll grab you by the coat. Uh-oh, Abbott, you ripped my coat. What a picture I am. Uh, never mind, I- I'll grab you by the shirt. There goes my shirt. What a picture. Well, there's only one thing left. Picture censored. <laughs> All right, Costello, swing, swing over here towards me. I'll grab you by the bay window. You better not, I'm ticklish. Okay, there you are. There you are now to find Mrs. O'Lady. My hair's dry, and I can't do a thing with it. <laughs> oh, would you idiot, please do something? Look at that fire. It's burning my settee cover. Settee cover? Too bad you haven't got a pair of my especially. Uh, 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 never mind that. Uh, hey. Look, the flames are getting higher. We've, we've got to get out of here. Come on. Come on, Mrs. O'Leary. I'll carry you out to safety. Mrs. O'Leary. Quit running around the table. This is no time to play hard to get. Quick, Costello. Quick, Costello. She ran into that burning room after her. Nothing doing. You go after her. Uh, don't talk like a coward. Where's your manhood? My what? Call, call on your manhood. Okay. Manhood! Oh, manhood! No answer. Right. Wait a minute. Here, here she comes again, Costello. Grab her. I got her. I got her. Now, get a chair for Mrs. O'Lady. Ah. She looks as if she's going to faint. Look at her. She's going to faint. Watch out. Okay, I'll get a chair for her. Let her sit down. Here, here Mrs. O'Lady. Recline your carcass on this bit of drunken fight. Oh, sit down. Put your fire helmet on a chair. Apologize to Mrs. O'Leary. She should apologize to me. What for? She bent my eagle. I... Adam and Costello will be back for cattle cigarettes in just a moment. And now, this week's salute in the new series of salutes to the man who won the victory. Tonight, we salute the Fighting 69th Division, 1st Division, to link up with the Russians in Germany. In your honor, men of the Fighting 69th Division, the makers of camels are sending to your fellow servicemen overseas 
500,000 Camel Cigarettes. Each of the two Camel radio shows thus honors the different units of the Army, Navy, Marines, and Coast Guard. A total of a million camels sent free each week. Camel broadcasts go out to the United States twice a week, are rebroadcast to practically every area in the world where our men are stationed, and in cooperation with the Good Neighbor Policy, also to Central and South America. Listen next Thursday when Camel again presents Abbott and Costello. And now here are Bud and Lou with the final word. Hey, Lou, hasn't this been a grand audience tonight? Yes, it has, Abbott. And to show our appreciation, let you and I go down into the audience to shake hands with everybody and let them see you and I face to face. No, no, not just anything from delegates. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, mister. What's the matter? You're a wise guy, don't you? Yeah, I'm pretty smart. Oh, yeah? I can stump you. You can? What's the difference between a Camel cigarette... A railroad engine and a lollipop. I don't know. What is the difference between a camel cigarette, a railroad engine, and a lollipop? The camel cigarette, you puff when you smoke. But a railroad, a railroad engine smokes when it puffs. What's the lollipop for? That's for suckers like you, ain't it? Good night, folks. Good night, everybody. Be sure to tune in next week for another great Abbott and Costello show brought to you by Camel Cigarettes. And remember, try camels in your T-Zone. See if you don't suit your taste, your approach to a tea. The Abbott and Costello Show for Camel Cigarettes will be back at this very same time next week. Don't miss it. This is Ken Niles in Hollywood wishing you all a pleasure. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Boston Blackie next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Boston Blackie. We've got to find that woman, you understand? We've got to find that girl, you hear? Hey, Inspector Faraday, we can't hear you when you pound your desk like that. You'll pound a beat if you don't find the problem, girl, Carlson. And the same goes for the rest of you, too. Look, Inspector, this is the homicide department. How come the pressure's on us to find her? Because the pressure's on the whole force. And what's more, this kind of thing leads to murder sometimes. More than sometimes. And we want to get to work before there's a murder. Okay. No, it isn't okay. What have we done so far? Inspector, we... we've got every radio car in the city in operation. We've called in all off-duty men, canceled all... I know what we've done, Carlson. And I know what we haven't done, too. We haven't found Millicent Bromley. She's just a 22-year-old, see? A girl who's done nobody any harm, see? And she's in the hands of thugs, see? Now, we're supposed to be great, big, strong he-men. We're supposed to be policemen. We're supposed to protect the people of this city from accidents and crimes. Yet we can't even help a 22-year-old girl. No. Faraday speaking. Inspector Faraday, this is Shorty. You know, Shorty, Boston Blackie's place. Yeah, I know who you are, Shorty. So don't bother me. I'm busy. Yeah, I know that, Inspector Faraday. That's why I'm calling. I can make you unbusy. Oh, you can, can you? Yeah. Well, isn't that nice? Now, look, Shorty, I've got... Don't... But you got to listen to me, Inspector Faraday. Blackie's out of town. Oh, he... Blackie's out of town, is he? That's wonderful. Now, why don't you get out of town, too? Then I'll solve this case the way it ought to be solved. Inspector Faraday... I just talked to Blackie's girlfriend, Mary Wesley, and she talked to Blackie. He 
Wesley's in California. You talk to Miss Wesley, Miss Wesley, talk to Blackie. So what? What do I care? I'm busy looking for a missing girl. Now, goodbye. Oh, gee, Inspector Faraday, don't hang up. I know you're looking for a girl. It's Millicent Bromley, isn't it? Yeah, it's Millicent Bromley. And I suppose you know right where she is. I sure do, Inspector Faraday. She's right here in my room. And now on to tonight's adventure of Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy. Friend to those who have no friends. That shorty's door, Carlson, at the end of the hall. You think he was on the level about having the Bromley girl, Inspector Faraday? I don't know. If he does, this case is awful easy. I haven't had an easy case in ten years. We'll know in a minute. Open up, shorty. It's Faraday. Open up! Come on in, Inspector Faraday. Hey, what's the matter with you, shorty? You're bleeding. Grab him, Carlson, before he falls down. I got him, Inspector. Thanks. You better sit down, bud. Yeah, sure. All right. There you go. You know, the guy's got here too late. Hey, what happened Should've... to you, Shorty? Where's the Bromley girl? I don't know, Inspector Faraday. Uh-oh, Faraday. You said this might be one of Blackie's gags? Yeah. Oh, no, no, Inspector. This ain't no gag. She was here, but somebody slugged me from behind, and when I came to, she was gone. Oh, Yeah. So help me, that, that's the truth. Take this down, will you, Carlson? You bet, Inspector. Okay. Now, Shorty, Blackie put you up to this, didn't he? No. It's his idea of a gag. Or maybe he's mixed up in this. Honest, Inspector, all Blackie had to do with this was to tell me to call you up and say the girl was here. Ah, uh, but the girl wasn't here, was she? But she was, Inspector Faraday. Honest, she was. She was right there on that couch there when I was talking to you on the phone. All right, she was right there on the couch. How'd she happen to get here? You grabbed her, didn't you? No, honest, Inspector Faraday, she was here when I got here. And the professor was here, too. He said she was his niece. The professor? Who's he? He's a guy I know, nice guy, too. He's used my room before, but he's never brought anybody with him before, especially anybody he swiped. How did you know the Bromley girl wasn't the professor's niece if the professor said she was his niece? Well, the professor left and told me to let the girl sleep. I turned on the radio in the other room, and I heard what the Bromley girl was wearing. Uh, now, this girl was wearing the same thing. Sure, sure. I went over to wake her up and ask her if she was the Bromley girl, and then I saw she was doped. And then, suddenly, something hit me on the head. You're lying, Shorty. If I'm lying, you think I hit myself on the head? I wouldn't doubt it. Ah! I think this whole thing is phony. Now, come on, who's this professor? Is that Blackie? Or is he something else Blackie dreamed up? No, no. Honest, Inspector Faraday. The, the professor's a real guy. He's real, huh? Yeah. All right, where does he live? I don't know. Oh, you don't, huh? Well, isn't that convenient? Shorty, you're number one on my suspicion parade. And maybe the charge will be murder. Which is another way of saying you're under arrest. <laughs> You recovered the Bromley girl from Shorty's room without Shorty seeing you, didn't you, Tommy? Oh, sure, Professor. He didn't even know what hit him. And the Bromley dame's still sleeping in the next room. Splendid. Now, I want you and Bill to listen to me very closely. I think I know what we're going to do next, Professor. I hope you do, Tommy. But Bill here wasn't present for the initial proceedings. I think we had best... Uh, one thing I don't savvy yet, Prof, is why we stashed the dame at Shorty's in the first place and then had a conch Shorty to get her back. Well, Bill, I didn't want to bring her directly here to my place until I was certain the police had no description of me. 
So it was expedient for the girl and I to remain in someone else's abode until I could ascertain whether or not it was safe to lodge her here. Oh, I get it. Nobody spotted you snatching a dame, so after a couple of hours at Shorty's, it was okay for us to get her out of Shorty's, huh? Your powers of deduction are brilliant, Bill. Uh, but now for your instructions. I managed the girl this far. As Tommy knows, she'll be in your care from now on. Yeah, sure, Prof. We keep her here, Prof? No, Bill. You will take her out to our farm and wait there for the delivery of the ransom money. Uh, when you have the money, bring it here to me. Hey, look, Prof, it's a long way out to the farm. What if the Brownlee dame wakes up on the way out and starts yelling? I don't think you'll have any trouble with her, Tommy. Asleep or awake. Well, if we do... Oh, no, you won't, Tommy. We'll have none of that. Oh, but, Prof, if she starts to queer our plan... The girl is not to be mistreated in any way, do you understand? Well, I'll see that everything goes all right, Professor. I'm certain you will, Tommy. And what about after we get the dough? What do we do with the dame then? Release her, by all means. And show her the greatest courtesy while she's in your care. Okay. Now, um, how do we get the money? My dog will bring it to the shack. Ah. The dog, Prof... How's a dog going to bring us some money? Where's a dog going to get it? The ransom note I have just prepared states that they will find my dog leashed to a tree on the Oxford Road, six miles west of Havensville. Yeah? They are to strap the packages of money, $50,000, in 20 and $50 bills, all old money, to the dog's back, and untie him from the tree, mm. and then say, now, go home. The dog... We'll do the rest. Yeah, but, Professor, won't somebody follow the dog? Why do you think I'm going to such fantastic measures to procure the ransom money, Tommy? Perhaps someone will try to follow my dog, but it'll be impossible. I have trained him for months to run a devious course at top speed and to duck through thickets and backtrack in the densest underbrush. <whistles> and parts of the terrain over which he will travel with the ransom money will be impassable to man. No, Tommy, no one will follow my dog. But they're perfectly welcome to try. Inspector Faraday, I know you're doing everything possible to find my daughter, but can't you do the impossible and get her back? Mr. Bromley will do anything to find that daughter of yours. But you can help us if you give us the details of the ransom but note. But I haven't received a note. Mr. Bromley, I know exactly how you feel about this. You think you're protecting your daughter by not cooperating with the police because the note says not to contact the police. But, Inspector Faraday, you must believe me, I have not received a note. You haven't, huh? No. But when I do, you can be sure I'll contact you no matter what the note says. Will you promise me that? Even if the note warns you not to come to us? I'm no fool, Inspector. I know you can handle these fellows far better than I. And I'm glad you realize that. If more people realize that, there'd be far less crime. You'll get complete cooperation from me, don't worry. But isn't there anything you can do before I get the note? We've done all we could on the leads we've had. Well, this, this, this shorty person, what does he know about it? I don't know. He tells a story that makes some sense, but not enough to suit me. I still think he's mixed up in this some way. Or Boston Blackie is. You're holding, shorty. No, I had to let him go. Not enough on him. Well, this, this story he tells about a, a, a professor, perhaps that's your lead. It is a lead, and we're working on it. But so far, we haven't been able to find any professor. But certainly this shorty must know where he lives if he knows him well enough. Mr. Bromley, you don't know underworld people. If shorty's telling the truth about a professor, he may also be telling the truth when he says he doesn't know where he lives. Well, some of the best-known people in the underworld have hideouts that no one knows about. 
Not even members of their own gang. Oh, I, I see. Uh, don't worry, Mr. Pamela. We'll find... Come in. Inspector Faraday. Yeah, Carlson, what do you want? I've got something you want, Inspector. We got a tip on where a guy they call the professor may be hiding out. Oh, thank heaven. You have, huh? Good, where? In a brown house on Front Street between Canal and the Bay Bridge Ranch. Front Street, huh? Yep. That's near where Shorty lives. Maybe he was telling the truth. Inspector, now maybe we'll find my daughter. I hope so, Mr. Bromley. Maybe you'd like to come along with us. I'm going down to Front Street in person to teach that professor a lesson. Here's the professor's house, Mr. Bromley. Are you sure? Yes. The tip said it was a brown house on Front Street, didn't it, Carlson? Yes, sir. In between Canal Street and the Bay Bridge ramp. This is the only brown house on the block. Want me to go in first, Inspector? No, I'll go first. You and Mr. Bromley follow. We have to find Millicent here, Inspector. This is our only lead to her. Well, there's still Shorty. We can pick him up any time we want to. Oh, uh, on what grounds, Inspector? We never saw him with her. We can't charge him with any. I know that, but we... Well, let's go in and have a chat with this professor. There... There won't be shooting, will there? If there is, Mr. Brownlee, I'll start it. My gun's all set. Hey, why not try the door, Inspector? It might be open. All right. Watch it. You better step back a few feet, Mr. Brownlee. That's all right, Inspector. I'm not afraid. Hmm. Door's open. Let's go in. But slowly, slowly. Hmm. Doesn't look to me as if this house has been lived in lately. Some people don't care how they live, Carlson. Inspector, there's a light shining from under that door. There. Yeah, I just saw it, Mr. Browning. Come on, let's have a look. Ready with your gun, Carlson. Ready. But be careful. He may be holding my daughter as a shield. Please, be careful. We'll watch out, Mr. Browning. Okay. I'm going to try the door. I'm all set. Fling her open if she isn't locked. And there's our professor. Okay, prop, put the... Matter, Inspector Faraday. Nothing much, Mr. Bromley. But there's a lot the matter with the professor. He's dead. And now, back to our story. Twenty-two-year-old Millicent Bromley is missing but is later found by Shorty, a friend of Boston Blackie. Shorty learns that the girl is stolen and gets in touch with Boston Blackie, who's out of town. Blackie tells Shorty to contact Faraday of the police. Shorty calls Inspector Faraday, but before the inspector gets to Shorty's room, Shorty is knocked out and the girl stolen from him. Shorty claims a man named the Professor brought the girl to his room, but when the police find the Professor, he's dead. As we return to our story, Shorty has been released by the police. And in the Bromley home, the phone rings. Hello. You, Bromley? Yes. Did you get our little note about the ransom? Yes, I just this minute received it. Are you the man who has my daughter? I'll ask the questions. But I'll answer that one with a yeah. I got your note. I'll pay your money. Only give me back my daughter. You'll get her back, Bromley. But did you read that little note real good? Yes, yes, I read it. But it said, don't tell the police what's in it. Did you read that? Yes, I did. Well, remember that, pal. Or forget about your daughter. Oh, I'll be... Hello. Hello. Oh, he hung up. 
Coming, coming. Yes? I'd like to talk to Mr. Harold Bromley, if it's okay. I'm Harold Bromley. Oh, hiya. I'm Shorty. I guess you've heard of me. I certainly have. I. You got a minute so I could talk to you? Oh, definitely. Come in, come in. Thanks. The uh, police have released you, I trust. Yeah, but they'll nab me again if we don't find your kid. I'm still in a jam. Look, I... I just been talking to my friend Boston Blackie long distance, see, and he asked me to come and see you. Your friend Blackie is going to help me find my daughter? He's trying to now, Mr. Bromley. But how can he help me when he's out of town? Oh, he'll be here tomorrow. But he figured he might help even before he got here. If you tell him what's in that note... Well, I intend to tell Inspector Faraday of the police, in spite of the fact that I just had a phone call warning me not to... But do you think it's wise for me to tell Blackie, too? Well, if you're smart enough to spill it to the cops... Sure can't go wrong spilling it to Blackie. You know, Blackie comes up with some shortcut ideas every now and then. Yes, he does, doesn't he? Sure. All right. Here's what the note says. The money, $50,000 in old bills in 20s and 50s, is to be taken by car to a tree on the Oxford Road, six miles west of Havensville. Uh-huh, I got it. There'll be a dog near the tree. A dog? What cooks? The money is to be strapped to the dog's back. I am to untie the dog and say, now go home. And that will be that. Why, that's the nuttiest thing I ever heard. I'm afraid it's rather clever, though, Shorty. They caution me not to try to leash the dog. He'll balk. He won't move. And not to try to follow it. It'll be impossible. Oh, huh? Well, maybe so. Look, uh, when do you have to kick in with the ransom money? At midnight, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, huh? Okay, now I'll tell you what. Just so those guys can't say you double-crossed them, I'll go to the cops. That note sure didn't say nothing about me. Hello, Harry. This is Shorty. Oh, yeah, Shorty. Any more news from Blackie? Well, there's a telegram here for you. Yeah, that's what I meant. I guess it's from Blackie telling me what plane he's coming in on. Well, it got here just three minutes ago. Read it to me, will you? Okay, just a minute. Yeah, good. Uh, here you are, Shorty. Okay. Uh, read it slow. Okay, it's from Blackie, all right. What plane's he coming in on? Well, here's what his wire says. Yeah? Weather impossible. All planes grounded. Phone me here about note as soon as you know something. Signed, Blackie. Okay, Harry, I'll do that. Blackie says he'll tell me what to do next, huh? Gee, I I sure hope so. Yeah, Blackie, I got it. Oh, gee, that's a swell idea, Blackie. But the note says not to tell the cops what's in it. Well, okay, if you think it's okay. Yeah, I'll go see Inspector Faraday right away. Uh-huh. 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 Look, Shorty, you want to spend the rest of your life in this office of mine? Maybe. Now, look, Inspector. I came here to tell you what was in the ransom note Mr. Bromley got. He got the note? You know what's in it? Sure. How do you know? Did you write it? 
No, I didn't. Mr. Bromley told me what was in it. He told you? Uh-huh. Why didn't you say so in the first place? Because you've been screaming your head off ever since I walked in that door. Well, I'll scream some more if you wait any longer to tell me what's in that note. Okay. Here it is. Now, at midnight tonight, we take $50,000 in old bills, 20s and 50s, to a tree on the Oxford Road, six miles west of Havensville. I know, the old gag. Leave it in a hole in the tree, huh? Oh, no. There'll be a dog there. Yeah, I thought... A dog? Yeah, a dog, tied to the tree. We strap the money on the dog's back, untie the dog, and he scrams with the dough. That's fine. Just how are we going to follow a dog? Those things can run, and they probably got this one trained to break records. Yeah, I guess maybe they have, Inspector Faraday. But Blackie's come up with an idea how we can trail the dog without following him. He has. Uh-huh. How are we going to do it? Tie rockets to our pants? <laughs> You better hurry, Mr. Bromley. It's almost midnight. We yes, want to release the dog here right on the dot of 12. It's almost done, Inspector Faraday. My, my hands are shaking so I can hardly... There. Seems secure enough. Good. Now, here's where we start fooling these guys. How, Inspector? We'll never be able to follow this dog by trying to run after it. No. But we can do something so we can watch where he goes. Now, look around you, Mr. Bromley. What do you see? Well... Nothing but darkness. Yeah, pitch darkness. But in that darkness are hills. Pretty high hills, too. I have men posted on the top of nearly every hill in the vicinity. Will they be able to see the dog? No, they won't be able to see the dog, even using binoculars. That is, not as the dog is now. Shorty, do you have that can of luminous paint? Yeah, sure. It's right here, Inspector. I'm putting it on the dog's tail now. Oh, now I see what you're going to do. Put some on the dog's sides, too, Shorty. A nice wide band of it, huh? Yeah, I'm doing that right now. Say, this paint won't hurt him, will it? No, I checked into that. The stuff's non-poisonous. Oh, we'll get it off after it's served its purpose. What happens now? Do your men watch the dog through binoculars and then go to wherever the dog stops? No. They're all equipped with field radios, Mr. Bromley, and they'll radio the dog's progress and eventual destination right here to us. Let the dog go, Shorty. Okay, boy. Now go home. He's loose. Go on, scram, puppy. Have a good run, boy. Wow, look at him go. And look how clearly you can see the luminous paint on his tail and sides. Yeah. All right, Mr. Bromley. Let's go back to my car, see what's on the radio. This is Sergeant Lawrence in north position. The dog just crossed Highway 6 going due west. I followed him straight west until he disappeared into a pass. This is Carlson, west position. The dog just passed below us, heading up the bank of the Owl River, seven miles from the Staten Bridge. He's now heading into open country in the direction of Plainfield. This is Williams on a hill near Plainfield. The dog just arrived at the farmhouse 18 miles north of Plainfield. As I'm watching now, the door's been opened by someone on the inside. The dog has entered the house. All right, Inspector Faraday, it's all yours. 40,920, 40,920. You know, Tommy, I still don't see why we knocked off the professor. Well, Bill, we got rid of the professor because $50,000 splits bigger two ways than four. Four ways? Yeah. Yeah, have a surprise for you, Bill. You, the professor, and I make three, but the Bromley girl makes four. Huh? I don't get it. This was a deal cooked up by the Bromley dame herself to get money from her tightwad father. You leveling. The prof didn't snatch that dame. No. Neither did we when we took her out of Shorty's room. 
Now, that was all a part of the brownie girl's deal with the professor. The professor said he'd go in with her if he could drug her and keep her in somebody else's joint while the heat was good and hot. Money, dame, that are doing after her own father just to get money from what? Hey, hey what the... what's happened to the lights? Oh, what do you think happened to them? They went out. We didn't touch a thing. We didn't... Hey, t- I don't like this. Let's get out of here. Okay, but what about the Bromley thing? Never mind her. Come on. We'll run across the yard to the barn. All right, you guys. Stay where you are. Yeah, a lot of cops. Don't move either, Bill. Grab them, boys. We never have time to reach their guns, Inspector. That's a good thing, Carlson. Yeah, we know when to be good, boys. Yeah? Where's the Bromley girl? Still in the house. Okay, Carlson. Send one of the men in after him. Okay. Go. Ah, now we have the men we want, the ransom money, and the Bromley woman. Maybe this was all Blackie's idea, but I did it just as well as if Blackie himself were here. Police headquarters, homicide. Johnson, this is Inspector Faraday. Oh, yes, Inspector. Where are you? The commissioner wants to congratulate you. I'm home in bed. I just had an idea. Do you know where Blackie is? Uh, still grounded on the coast, I hear, but there... Well, I want uh... to send him a wire. Take this down. Uh, yes, sir, but... Uh, Here it is. Uh... Here it is. Recovered Millicent Bromley, who was just pretending to be kidnapped to extort money from her own father. But, uh... Men, I thought, abductors killed Professor, as you said they did, but, uh... I had a touch of my own in capture to protect Bromley Girl. But, Cut uh, power lines to farmhouse, knowing they would fear trap when house went dark. Uh, they ran out of house, and I nabbed them without endangering Girl. Uh, who's brilliant now? But, uh, sign it, Faraday, huh? Uh, just a minute, Inspector. I've been trying to tell you there's a wire here for you. Got here about six hours ago, according to death sergeant. Six hours ago, huh? Yeah. And that was before we got to the farmhouse. It's probably from Blackie with some crazy no-good idea. Uh, read it to me anyway. Uh, yes, sir, just a minute. Uh, uh, here it is, yeah. Uh, I'm Blackie, all right. What's he say? Uh, he says, uh, judge from use of dog, kidnappers are holed up in farmhouse or country home. To avoid danger to Millicent Bromley in event of shooting, suggest you cut power lines. Throwing house in darkness will possibly... Force them outside where you can nab them without risking life of girls. Don't bother reading the rest of it, Carlson. And don't bother sending my wire to Blackie. And wipe that smile off your face, Carlson. It isn't that funny.
Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Burns and Allen, followed by Challenge of the Yukon. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.